Good morning. I'm back. <laughs> it's great to be back. And it's not by coincidence that I think today we have the message that we do. Who's excited for what's about to happen with church coming up? Like, it's an exciting time. And yeah, I don't think that it's by chance that this message that I've got for you this morning is happening today. Before we get started, we're doing trust, right? So why don't you tell someone close to you what one of the guilty pleasures that you've indulged in in the past recent has been. And I'll start off, right, last night I ate a full pack of minties in a sitting. So tell someone around you, trust them with your guilty pleasure and just let them know, you know, what it is actually that you have been a guilty indulgence. I hear a lot of laughter. That's good. Must mean there must be a few funny ones out there. Maybe over morning tea when you go out you can share what uh, someone's told you. No, don't do that. That's breaking trust. (laughs) This week as I was preparing for the sermon, I felt like there was uh, a couple of questions that were sitting on me this week. And it will come apparent why. But I want to sort of focus around those questions as we we have the message this morning. So at times I might get you to shut your eyes and reflect on the questions, but also at other times it might just simply be that we reflect on the questions just as I keep talking. But first of all I want to start with actually let's shut our eyes and I want to pose some questions to you. Who do you follow? Do you follow anyone in particular? Is there a brand you follow? My mum loves cashmere. Maybe there's some sort of celebrity that you follow, whether they be a religious celebrity or whether they're a a musician. Maybe you still follow in your partner's footsteps. Maybe there's a political party that you follow. Or maybe there's a spiritual leader that you follow. How do these people influence you? That's the first question. The second question is who is following you? Who is following you? And how do you influence these people? Just while you have your eyes shut, I'm going to pray over this time in the sermon. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. 
which we get to gather. I pray that you bless these words now that they may touch hearts and that they may be able to speak into our situation at the moment. We thank you for this time. Amen. So as you know, and as I've already implied, we're doing our series on trust. And Simon started last week with actually, what does it mean to trust God? And it was a really good sermon. If you missed it, it was a great sermon. (laughs) Simon's blushing up the front. One of the things that he did really well, which I want to emphasize this morning, is he distinguished the difference between trust and faith. Right? And I'm just going to refresh that for us. Faith is a noun. I have that here. Look at that. Chris has got it for me. Faith is a noun. Right? Faith is something that we have that we can believe in, but it isn't necessarily something we act upon. We should act upon faith, but it's a noun, right? But we want to think of trust as a verb. A verb is a doing word. That means you do something because of it. Simon gave the example in the second service, a very practical one, which actually Simon lent to me when I went to Israel, his camera lens, If you know anything about Simon, he loves his cameras and his lenses and he actually has a higher value on those but he trusted me to take it over with him. He had faith that I would look after it beforehand but when he put it into action by lending it to me, he actually made it trust. In the same way he talked to to the first service about actually what it means with the wheelbarrow. And you can, walk, you can have this man that's going across a cliff on a plank with a wheelbarrow and you can say, yeah, I have faith that that guy can do it. When he's on the other side and says, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow and come across with me? It actually requires trust in that person. It was a really good identification of what it meant to have trust in someone. And this morning, what we're actually looking at is trusting leadership, right? We're looking at trusting leadership. What does it mean to trust leadership? Now, let's note here, trusting leadership does not mean that you're trusting authority. They're two very different topics, and we're not looking at trusting authority at the moment. We're looking at trusting leadership. This morning, we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be followers and leaders. And this doesn't mean that we're actually ants. I want to get this out before I get started. We're not ants that are just following the scent behind the the leader ant, which is mindless following. It's not that at all. This is actually rather quite um, important because it's about influences in our lives, people that we choose to trust. It's active trust. It's active decisions that we're making to trust that leader. So we we just looked at what it means to trust, how it's not a, a noun and it's a verb. And I quickly just want to define what it means to have leadership, what leadership is in the modern day context. And Google defines leadership as the leading of a group of people, self explanatory, or an organization or to have the ability to lead. Leadership is defined as the action of leading or to have the ability to lead someone. And there's lots of different sorts of leaders. 
You have people that are, have leadership because they work hard. We have leadership because they work hard. They study, they work hard in their job and they get recognised. And so they get promoted because they've done the hard yards. You have people that inherit leadership. When you have a child, you get the child and you instantly have a sense of leadership to develop that child. It's not because, well, you had to do some work, but it's not because you had to work hard for that leadership. Whether or not you do a good job in leading in that spot's different, but there's inherited leadership. You also have commissioned leadership. When you're just working in your workspace and then suddenly your manager comes up to you and says, I need you to look after this set of team to do a task, you don't really have an option. It's more you have to do what you have to do. So that's commissioned leadership. And then you have leadership where people are anointed by God. Like King David, for example. He was chosen by God to lead. There's people, even now, pastors, Simon, myself. There's a call which we have upon our lives in which we want to honour God and actually lead people into a deeper relationship with God. And this isn't limited to spiritual places. You can be the nurse in the night shift at ICU. She can be anointed by God to be a leader in that space. You have social media profiles which can be anointed by God. So, if we put trust and leadership together, I put this sort of definition to it. It is believing in the reliability, truth and ability of someone, allowing them to have, use or look after something or someone and have faith and confidence that the person will fulfil the desired outcomes with integrity until completely finished. That is a lot to have when you're trusting leadership. It's big. Trusting leadership is not a small thing. There's a lot that's entailed within that. And what's really hard is that actually we live in a world where this question comes up. How do we live in the world when leadership has trust, broken our trust so many times? Politicians don't keep their promises. Broken trust. A close friend slips a white lie. Broken trust. Affairs are everywhere in the modern day. And when sometimes leaders can't handle the responsibilities or the stress they turn to substance abuse. These are the real circumstances that we live in in the day. So asking that question, how can we trust authority, uh, so not authority, leadership, when it's been broken so many times, how do you do that in the modern day? Well, I'm here to tell you we need to. We need to trust leadership. And we'll come back to answering that question a little bit longer later. But I want to look at some biblical examples first of actually what it means to be a leader and what it means to follow the leader and what that looks like. And June so wonderfully read this morning the story of Jonathan and his famous victory. 
I just want to go through that with you again. I'm going to read it from a different version this time. It's called the Easy Read version. And I like it because it uses a bit more um, easy-to-understand language. So I'm just going to read it for you. And we're going to just look at a few points of what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a follower. So 1 Samuel 14. That day, Saul's son Jonathan was talking with the young man who carried his weapons. Jonathan said, let's go to the Philistine camp on the other side of the valley. But Jonathan did not tell his father. These men in the camp did not know that Jonathan had left. Jonathan was planning to go through a pass to get to the Philistine camp. There was a large rock on each side of the pass, and the large rock on one side was named Bozes, and the large rock on the other side was named Senna. One of the rock, rocks faced north towards Michmash, and the other faced south toward Geba. This is setting the scene for us, right? There's, we're in a time where the geographical landscape is actually really important. They didn't have aerial graphing and stuff in which they could identify where enemy camps were or anything like that. They, they're actually describing the story of the battle and what they had to come up against. The enemy had the high ground, right? Jonathan said to his young helper who carried his weapons, come on, let's go to the camp of those foreigners. Maybe the Lord will use us to defeat them. Nothing can stop the Lord. It doesn't matter if we have many soldiers or just a few. Here's the first point. Jonathan's eyes are for God. As a leader, you've got to have eyes for God. And when it stops that your eyes are for God, then you need to step down from your position of leadership. Jonathan surrenders himself to God to be his leader, even though he's leading. And whilst this message is about trusting leadership, it's also important that you see those who you are trusting have that. So if something happens within them, you can come to them and say, where's the vision on God? Let's keep going with the story. The young man who carried Jonathan's weapons said to him, do what you think is best. Whatever you decide, I am with you all the way. I just want to note here, this isn't a blind trust. And we're going to come to that a bit further in the sermon. But Jonathan and his sword bearer actually have a relationship that's established. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But what I want to pick out on this verse is actually that when you trust your leadership, you have to be with them fully. You can't be half-half. You have to invest completely into the leader. You need to show your support and commitment to their work. Jonathan said, let's go. We will cross the valley and go to the Philistine guards. We will let them see us. If they say to us, stay there until we come to you, we will say where we are and we won't go up to them. But if the Philistine men say, come up here, then we will climb up to them. That will be a sign from God. That will mean that the Lord will allow us to defeat them. This is another note from the, for the, the trustworthy leader here. A leader is worth your trust if they can communicate effectively their vision. Right? 
And here, Jonathan's doing exactly that. It's making his plan so well known to his follower that they can be on the same path when the decision that has to be made comes. A leader is worth your trust if they can communicate the plan effectively. So Jonathan and his leader, his helper, let the Philistines see them. The Philistine guard said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes they were hiding in. The Philistines in the fort shouted to Jonathan and his helper, come up here and we will teach you a lesson. Jonathan said to his helper, follow me up the hill. The Lord is letting Israel defeat the Philistines. So Jonathan climbed up the hill with his hands and feet and his helper was right behind him. Jonathan and his helper attacked them. In the first attack, they killed 20 Philistines in an area about one half acre size. Sounds like a real teenage boy story, doesn't it? You can tell why I like it. A real battle scene. (laughs) Jonathan fought the men who attacked from the front and his helper came behind him and killed them who were only wounded. When you're a follower of a leader, there's going to be action that's required of you. Jonathan's helper finished off those that were only injured. Now, this is of a time where that's what was required of the follower. But this is a time where the leader doesn't go head forward with a sword. So what is it that you can do for the person that you're following? This is one of those questions that I'm going to just keep talking to you about, but I want you to sort of think about. What is it that you can do uh, for the person that you're following? There's got to be an action that's required. Otherwise, you're not really a follower. You're just someone that's observing. Jonathan, the second thing about that verse is Jonathan's sword bearer had his back. That means no one could get to the leader's back and backstab him. Right? His back was guarded by his sword bearer. So do you have your leader's back? Now that means maybe you hear someone saying something about what the leader's plans are. And it's not so much necessarily in a positive light. Do you stand up in that situation and actually say, no, this is a really positive thing that we're doing, say it's with the church, and uh, this is actually going to bring in young families and it's going to bring in some children and it's going to keep the church alive? Or do you just let the moment pass and let the opportunity go by? Do you have your leaders back? So, as I mentioned earlier, there's this thing about not trusting blindly also. I just wanted to highlight the relationship that Jonathan had with his sword bearer beforehand. In the time, the sword bearer wasn't just chosen for the battle. They were trained with the person that would be the knight, so that they could keep up with the knight. Imagine, you're carrying all this armour and the swords and the shields. It's heavy. You have to be fit. But what that would have also meant is that you actually got to see the sword bear, the, the, the fighter actually train. And you got to see him spar. And you got to actually see him in previous battles. So there's a relationship that's developed. There's a relationship that actually is developed between the, the follower and the leader. And this is where the trust is built. As you start to see the skills being unfolded, then you actually start to get to trust your leader more on a deeper basis. So if you're observing only from a distance and following, 
at a, a low level, my encouragement for you, be, for you would be to actually start getting into where the leader is going and actually getting to hear his vision so that you're at a distance where you can hear him and actually getting involved with him and start building that relationship that, so that the trust follows through. But sometimes we do just blindly trust. This is the next question. Why do we blindly trust? And I think, for a young 23-year-old, I blindly trust something because it's easy. Or it's comfortable. And continuously, Paul actually writes to warn us against that. If it's comfortable and easy... Not always, but most often, it's not the path that God has chosen for you. If it's comfortable, you become lazy. We need to keep working on our trust. We need to keep working on trusting that's not blind. On that term of the relationship, I want to give you a second example of what it means to trust leadership. The second example is actually of Jesus on the cross. On the cross, one of Jesus' final words was, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And this cry has so many different meanings, and you can trace it back to Psalms, you can trace it back to all these different ways, but what I want to point out this morning is there's an insight to what's called the Trinitarian Relationship. It's a big word, it's a really difficult theological understanding, but we know what the Trinity is, right? It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see the Catholics do that all the time. It's actually quite a nice um, tradition that they do. But it's the relationship that is within the Trinity. So how the Father interacts with the Son, how the Son interacts with the Father, how the Father interacts with the Spirit, and the Spirit interacts with Jesus. That's essentially what the Trinitarian relationship is. The one thing I want to point out about it is actually this relationship of trust within God the Father, the Son and the Spirit. In this relationship, when Jesus cries out, I entrust my spirit, we actually see submission from the leader to God the Father. And in the same way, in different parts of the Gospels, you account actually the Father submitting to Jesus, and in the same way you see the Holy Spirit submitting to Jesus, or Jesus submitting to the Spirit's prompting. There's this mutual realm where they're continuously trusting each other and their leadership. And this is really important, because it's a model for what we should be doing with each other. Trusting each other's leadership doesn't have to be something that's exclusive for one person or two people. Or even if you're a leader, it doesn't have to be exclusive, uh, a follower, sorry, it doesn't have to be exclusive for the leader. In fact, sometimes as the follower, you can lead the leader. The whole point about trusting leadership is that actually you're at a place where you can submit to hear what other people have to input. And as followers, you trust that they're going to be able to lead. 
So with that in mind, I want to come back to our big question that I raised earlier. How do we live in a world trusting leadership when leadership has been broken so many times? And here's my answer to the riddle. You're all leaders in this world. You are all leaders. And you can live in this world and trust leadership because you as a leader trust first. You can live in this world and trust leadership because you trust first. A good leader will trust before the follower trusts. Now, you're probably thinking, how can we all be leaders? If we're all leaders, then that makes no one a leader. But since the moment you accept Jesus into your life, or since the moment you're baptised, whatever it was, that moment where you accept Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, you actually became a leader in this world. Paul calls us aliens and strangers in this land. John 10.10. In that essence, it's our responsibility to be a leader for everyone out there that doesn't yet have Jesus in their life. And to trust leadership, you as the leaders for them have to trust them first. And through that model of trusting, then you'll be able to trust leaders, other sorts of leaders, and they will trust leaders because you're modelling trust to them and then you'll become a better leader in yourself. Which then will enable the people that are actually leading you. When you own that you're a leader and you actually have to trust others, a whole other area, lots of areas of trust start to form in your life. You start trusting the people that you you lead. Whether it's your family, whether it's people in cafe. You start trusting the people that lead you. Ministers, parents, partners, employers, maybe even your children lead you. And you start most importantly trusting more that God is leading the leaders. You start trusting that the leaders that you're following are trusted by God, have their trust in God, and that God is leading you. This is a really important topic in trusting leaders and learning how to be a follower, especially as we come to this time next week with all this change. There's going to be a fair bit of change, and it's going to require a lot of trust in Simon. He is our leader. And maybe sometimes we think, well, what can we do to show our trust? Pray for him. Give him a word of affirmation. There's this thing that we have in our leadership meeting where we keep affirming to each other. For every one bad thing that you hear, you have to remember five good things to counteract the balance. Maybe you can give that one good word to one of us leadership team. That's also Merla and June on that team from this service. Maybe it's the fact that you can actually make a meal for someone. 
Who knows? The, 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 the um, opportunities are limitless. But there's going to be a big requirement of trust in, in the leadership as we move into this next journey of the, the church. It's really important. So what I want to do to end this sermon is actually pray together. But it's not just going to be a prayer where we sit there and listen. This is going to be, it's going to be a blessing. I'd like to offer a blessing. But it's going to be responsive. And what's going to happen is, if you so feel moved, I'm going to say what is actually I'm going to pray for. And I want you to raise your hand if you feel like that you fit into that category. And the whole point of raising your hand is that we're making the trust a verb. We're actually doing something to display the trust. Now, there's going to be two groups that I pray for. And if you feel like you belong to both groups, that's fine. It's not like you get one prayer only. So I'm just going to pray. And uh, if you so feel moved, after I tell you what the, fir- the prayers are about, raise your hand and I want to pray a blessing for you. Let's pray together. The first prayer is for those who feel like they need help following. They need help trusting leadership. If you feel like you need help trusting leadership, I'd just like you to raise your hand as an act of trust. Lord God, we thank you for those people that can raise their hand and own the fact that they need help trusting leadership. It's not easy, as we said, to trust leadership. There is a lot to it. In this time, I just pray that your spirit comes into these people so that they may be able to go into this season of the church with a heart that is fresh of trust for the leadership. We thank you for their hearts, Lord. Amen. The second prayer that I like to pray is for those who are leading. If you have people that are following you and you feel like you need help from God to lead those people. If you're one of those people, just raise your hand and I'd like to pray a prayer for you. Lord God, it is a huge responsibility. We thank you for these leaders within our midst. What an inspiration they are. I pray that you bless those with the vision and the insight to lead well. And I pray most importantly that their eyes will be forever fixed on you, God, as they venture forward with the groups that they're leading. Lord God, I pray that your presence will be ever present in their life so that they may be able to bring people closer to you. Amen.